is most impressive. And we are amazingly transformed by his goodness and by his faithfulness. And it is because of the fact that God does not change, that uh, we have this relationship that benefits us. Um, You ever wondered how much does the relationship that we have with God benefit him? Uh, Why don't we as God's people make an extreme effort to ensure that the relationship between man and God is as great for God as it is? Let's go to God in prayer, please. Heavenly Father, we praise you. We love you. We thank you. Hallowed be your great and amazing name. Thank you so very much for this opportunity to worship you again. We'll thank you, Lord God, every day for this, for this day, for a day that you've awakened us from our beds of slumber, given us an opportunity to serve you, to live, to move, and have our very being. As we enter into a study of your word, we ask, Lord God, that you would open our hearts and our minds to see your truth. Help us remember Jesus, the Lamb, your great Son, who came and sacrificed himself that we might be saved. Thank you so very much for your kindness, your compassion, your mercy, your care, and your love. These things we pray in that wonderful, magnificent, most awesome, holy, and precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Be thy will. Amen. We welcome each of you here uh, today, both uh, members and visitors, those are who are here physically, those who are live stream. We are thankful that you have joined us today. We're going back to uh, the book of Revelation, and now in chapter 15. Chapter 15 in the book of Revelation, when these seven trumpets are blown, in chapters 8 through 11, you find that God is angry. You have God's wrath, right? But God's wrath is mixed with mercy. But in chapter 15, when the mercy of God or the wrath of God rather comes, there is no mercy. Now, today we're in, we've entitled this the Victory Song, but you can also entitle chapter 15, No More Mercy. For the mercy has ended. The faithful who overcame, they will stand with the Lord. But those who have stood opposed to God, their destruction and punishment is imminent. Verse 1, and I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels who had seven plagues, which are the last, because in them the wrath of God is finished. So there's no more delay. If you'll jump back to chapter 9 for just a moment. There are seven trumpets, and these seven trumpets represented seven partial warnings uh, from God. In chapter 9, you find in verse 20, the Bible says, and the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands. So as not to worship demons and the idols of gold and silver and of brass and of stone and of wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent their murders of their murders, nor of their sorceries, nor of their immorality, nor of their thefts. So the seven 
partial warnings gave a chance for repentance. But now judgment has come. Chapter 4, please. And this judgment of God is, is mixed and the recipients of this wrath of God is terrible. It's deliberate. God is angry. God is wrathful. Because they would not repent. They could have repented, but they would not repent. So there's this expanse that we read about in chapter 4. Uh, a sea of glass like crystal before the throne. And, and there, there's an obvious difference that I want you to notice between the sea of glass in chapter 4 and the sea of glass in our text in chapter 15. Beginning at verse 4, the Bible says, And around the throne were 24 thrones, and upon the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white garments, and golden crowns were on their heads. And from the throne proceeded flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder, and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne, there was, as it were, a sea of glass, like crystal. And in the center and around the throne, four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. I want you to see the difference. Turn to chapter 15 and verse 2. 15 and verse 2, the Bible says, And I saw, as it were, a sea of glass mixed with fire. And those who had come off victorious from the beast and from his image and from the number of his image standing on the sea of glass holding harps of God. So in chapter 4 there's nothing on the sea of glass. It's the separation between God or the holy and the unholy. But in chapter 15 in chapter 15 the sea of glass is not only mingled with fire but in chapter 15 the saints are on the sea of glass. They've moved closer to their God. And now the separation is no longer there. It no longer exists because of the victory of the saints through the blood of Jesus Christ. These are the overcomers. These are the ones who remained faithful to God through the persecution. And though they were shot at by the fiery darts of Satan, they struggled and endured the heartaches of life. These saints have battled. They have overcome the beast, by the blood of Jesus Christ. They made a choice to stay faithful and true to God. They've gained the victory. They are at last separated from the world, and they're playing harps, which tells us they're at peace. Finally, peace has been achieved, the very thing that they desired. And they sang a new song. And this song was the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb. In verse 3, the Bible says, And they sang the song of Moses, the bondservant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are thy works, O Lord God, the Almighty, righteous and true are thy ways, thou King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord God? Glorify thy name, for thou alone art holy, for all the nations will come. And worship before thee for thy righteousness, or thy righteous acts, rather, have been revealed. Turn back to Exodus, please, chapter 1. The song 
of Moses recorded in Exodus chapter 15 proclaim to us the great deliverance and justice of God. As God overcame the enemies. And I want you to look in, in, in Exodus and, and I want you to recognize the suffering of the saints. God's people back in the Old Testament. I want you to recognize the suffering and the struggles they had gone through in Egypt. I want you to recognize the hopelessness that they felt in Egypt. There was nothing they could do. All they could do was pray and hope that God would hear them. Was God listening? Could God hear them? Sometimes in our prayer life, we wonder, is God listening? Can God hear me? Of course God is listening. And of course God hears us. But everything in this life, regardless of who we might be, everything must be according to God's time. In verse 15, chapter 1, Then the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shipra, and the other was named Pua. And he said, When you are helping the Hebrew women to give birth, and see them upon the birth stool, if it is a son, then you shall put him to death. But if it is a daughter, then she shall live. Can you imagine that? Your wife is about to deliver. You as a mom are about to deliver. And you're praying what? God, please don't let it be a boy. Because I can't bear the thought of these folks putting my child to death. And they pray. Did God hear them? Chapter 2, verse 23. Now it came about in the course of the, those many days that the king of Egypt died and the sons of Israel sighed because of the bondage and they cried out and their cry for help because of their bondage rose up to God. So God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And God saw the sons of Israel, and God took notice of them. Was God listening? And you think about it for a moment. They hear, hear that they're, they're murdering these innocent babies. And, and then as it goes on, they're, they're persecuting, they're oppressing, oppressing God's people. And they're praying to God for help. And God sends ten plagues. And you wonder, why if God is almighty, does it take ten plagues? plagues is God listening does God know Exodus chapter 14 but it's all about God's timing for God brings about victory but it's always mingled together with the opportunity of salvation for the wicked you see we want God to come and wipe everyone out right now and if God were to say, Tony, can you endure this suffering for just another week? There are five more people that I'm waiting for that are ready to be saved. What might my answer be? I might say something like, Lord, uh, no, they, they should have done it yesterday. <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, they had time. <laughs> right? But that's not how God operates. It's not up to me. Right? So instead... 
We have to allow God to do things in God's way. Verse 9. The Bible says, Then the Egyptians chased after them with all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh, his horsemen and his army, and they overtook them camping by the sea beside Piheroth, in front of Baal Ziphon. And as Pharaoh drew near, the sons of Israel looked, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they became frightened. So the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord. Then they said to Moses, Is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you dealt with us in this way, bringing out, bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we spoke to you in Egypt, saying, Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in this wilderness. But Moses said to the people, Do not fear. Stand by and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you will never see them again forever. The Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. They didn't want to be silent. And they complained and they had no faith. And yet, there is God with salvation in his hands. Patiently waiting for God. Here's the point. The point is, they were in a helpless and a hopeless state. There was nothing they could do. All that they could do was trust and depend on God. Let me tell you what happens in the mind of humanity. We have forgotten, for some reason, that we too are in a helpless and a hopeless state. And that we can do nothing without God. We, we're thinking we're, we're doing it on our own, right? We're doing great on our own. We, but no, we can do nothing without God. Jesus said in John 15, you can do nothing without me. But it takes these types of circumstances and situations where you call on the name of God and you surrender because you recognize there's nothing you can do. God wants us to remember that always in our lives, every moment, every second of the day, there's nothing that we can do without God. I mean, that very breath you just took, that was a gift. So I want you to see now the song of Moses and how impactful it is and how powerful it is and why it is brought up in the book of Revelation. Because they are in a hopeless and helpless circumstance or situation of oppression. And there's nothing that can be done except by the hand and the help of God. So look at the song of Moses in chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. Then Moses and the sons of Israel sang this song to the Lord and said, I will sing to the Lord, for the horse and his rider has hurled, he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My father's God, and I will extol him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he has cast into the sea. And the choices of the officers are drowned in the Red Sea. The deeps cover them. They went down into the depths like a stone. You see this power of God now demonstrated? 
And this first stanza tells us that God is a warrior, right? Mighty and powerful in strength. And the second stanza is going to tell us that God will overthrow any and all who rise up against him. Verse 6. Thy right hand, O Lord, is majestic in power. Thy right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. And in the greatness of thine excellence, thou dost overthrow those who rise up against thee. Thou dost send forth thy burning anger, and it consumes them as chaff. And at the blast of thy nostrils, the waters were piled up. The flowing waters stood like a heap, and the deeps were congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil. My desire shall be gratified against them. I will draw out my sword, my hand shall destroy them. Thou didst blow with thy wind, and the sea covered them, and they sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like thee among the gods, O Lord? Who is like thee, majestic in holiness, awesome in praise, working in wonders. Do you remember the question I asked in chapter 13? Who can wage war against the beast? But you turn back to Exodus and you realize that the question is in reverse. Who can wage war against God? The answer is no one. And the victory, the victory belongs to the people of God. Brethren, we always win. We may lose uh, some of the battles in our lives, but you will never lose the war. The battle doesn't define the victory. It's the victory that defines the victory. Right? It's the victory that defines the victory. And so the victory was given to the people of God. Verse 19, there the Bible says, For the horses of Pharaoh... And his chariots and his horsemen went into the sea, and the Lord brought back the waters of the sea on them. But the sons of Israel walked on dry land through the midst of the sea. And Miriam, the prophetess, and Aaron's sister took the timbrel and her hand. And all the women went out after her with the timbrels and with dancing. And Miriam answered them, saying to the Lord, for he is highly exalted, the horse and his rider he has hurled into the sea. Psalm 136. Victory, victory, victory to the people of God. You see, it's important for us. It's imperative that we understand that it's all in God's timing and that we win. We win. And you know what's amazing? When you watch some of the greatest sporting events on earth, I mean, some of the greatest sporting events of our time, it's never the team that just wins by 120 to 2. That You know, you don't even watch. That game is uninteresting and it, it means nothing. It's the victory when the one team, maybe the underdog, and they're down and they're losing. And they slowly begin to come back. And it's that last second or those last minutes Of the end of the game, when the victory is won, you forget about the rest. And you rejoice in the victory. And brethren, that's what it's like for us. Don't worry about the things of this life. Enjoy and relish in the victory. In Psalm 136, in verse 13, the Bible says, 
To him who divided the Red Sea asunder, for his loving kindness is everlasting, and made Israel pass through the midst of it, for his loving kindness is everlasting. But he overthrew Pharaoh and his army in the Red Sea, for his loving kindness is everlasting. And so we're singing, oh, turn to Matthew 17. We're, we're singing the song of, of who? Of Moses. But you know, it really doesn't mean much, does it? If you think about it, you go, well, we're singing the song of Moses, and that's an Old Testament song, and, 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 uh, you know, Moses is dead and gone, and that time has passed, and that, oh, wait a minute. You're singing the song of the victorious Moses and child of God who is alive and well. You see, it's important that we recognize something, brethren. When we leave this earth and we get to go home with God, we're alive and well. Your saints that you loved, those faithful members of the church that you love, that you know, those family members that are passed on before you are alive and well. Victorious. Matthew 17, beginning at verse 1. And six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and brought them up to a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his garments became as white as the light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. Moses is alive. Why does it feel like I'm trying to convince you of this? Think about that. Am I trying to convince you? Am I trying to persuade you that we win? Or do you believe it with all your heart? God is amazing. Back to Revelation, please, chapter 15. God is amazing. And God has established for us this amazing victory where it looks like we're losing. Where the saints, if you will, they were persecuted. They were, they'd gone through many trials. They, they had fiery darts shot at them. And Satan looked victorious. And the world believed that Satan would win. They believed the dragon would win. And they didn't even realize that he was losing the whole battle all the way through. They sang the song of the Lamb. Verse 3. And they sang the song of Moses, the bondservant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are thy works, O Lord God, the Almighty, righteous and true are thy ways, thou King of the nations. God's works are great and marvelous. God is amazing. How about in your life? Is God amazing in your life? Is God triumphant in your life? Is God righteous and true in your life? Is God full of justice? Yeah. God is full of mercy and compassion. Is God the king of your life? Or do you have a king on the earth? You see, that's what they were wrestling with. Is the emperor king or is God king? In verse 4, the the text says, uh, Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify thy name? For thou alone art holy. For all the nations will come and worship before thee. For thy righteous acts have been revealed. Is God worthy? Who would, who would, who would come against God when God is in 
his wrath. Can you believe there are some people who feel like and believe that they will not bow the knee? They're not going to bow to Jesus. They're not going to do it in this life, and they sure enough aren't going to do it in the next life. And oh, how wrong they are. (laughs) And oh, how wrong they were. Everyone will bow the knee to Jesus. Now, you choose to do it now, or, or we do it later, but everyone will bow the knee to Jesus. You don't have to bow down to the emperor, but you will bow down to Jesus. The emperor will bow down to Jesus. Do we serve God? Do we fear God? Do we honor God? Or do we honor this world? And those that have some kind of dominion or power over us, limited power. And so the seven bowls of God's wrath have come upon this world. The seven angels. I want you to notice something about these seven angels and the seven plagues. Look down at verse 5. And after these things I looked and behold, excuse me, in the temple of the tabernacle of testimony in heaven was open. Let me read that verse over again. And these things I looked, after these things I looked, and the temple of the tabernacle of testimony in heaven was opened. And the seven angels who had the seven plagues came out with the temple clothed in linen, clean and bright, and girded around their breasts with golden girdles. I want you to go backwards for just a moment to chapter 1. And I want you to look at Jesus, 12. And I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the middle of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed in a robe, reaching to the feet, and girded across his breast with a golden girdle. So these seven angels in chapter 15 also have this golden girdle around them, which tells us they're coming in the power and the authority of Jesus. And here they come. Verse 7. Chapter 15. And one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one was able to enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. I want to give you a picture of this as the Bible gives us a picture. Turn back to number 16. So the smoke indicates the anger of God. And all those who have received the mark, if you will, the mark of the beast, they're identified. And then there are those who receive the protective uh, seal of God. Rome refused to repent. They thought they were in charge. They they were foolish enough to continue to wage war against God. Now, I want you to picture this now. Picture the temple of God and the smoke of the smoke coming out of the temple, which is the presence. It represents the presence of God. Now, what would you do if you saw the presence of God? Smoke filled the temple, and the temples, if you will, coming through the doors and seeping out of the temple was smoke, and that was indicative of the presence of God. How would you feel if you saw the presence of God? Would you look over there and say, oh yeah, the presence of God, no big deal? I want to give you a picture. I want to give you something you can take home and remember so that you understand the depth of what God is talking about with the destruction of Rome and the presence of God. 
And I want you to see the difference between what we're about to witness in the days of Moses and what's coming upon Rome. Numbers chapter 16, beginning at verse 1. Now Korah, the son of Izhar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, with Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and on the son of and on the son of Peleth, sons of Reuben, took action. And they rose up before Moses together with all the sons of Israel, two excuse me, with some of the sons of Israel, two hundred and fifty leaders of the congregation chosen in the assembly, men of renown. That means these are some real important men, right? And they assembled together against Moses and Aaron and said to them, You have gone far enough, for all the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is in their midst. So why do you exalt yourself above the assembly of the Lord? When Moses heard this, he fell on his face. Remember, Moses was a very humble man. And so when these men came to Moses and they said, you've gone beyond your your power. We're not going to listen to you. We don't want to hear the message of God anymore. You're telling us we're not holy, but we are holy. The whole congregation is holy. They were so prideful and so arrogant. Verse 28. You go back and read this text. And Moses said, By this you shall know. This was after the challenge to Moses. By this you shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these deeds, for this is not my doing. If these men die the death of all men, or if they suffer the fate of all men, then the Lord has not sent me. But the Lord brings about an entirely new thing, and the ground opens its mouth and swallows them up with all that is theirs, and they descend alive into Sheol, then you will understand that these men have spurned the Lord. Then it came about, as he finished speaking all these words, that the ground that was under them split open, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up and their households, and all the men who belonged to Korah with their possessions. So they and all that belonged to them went down alive to Sheol, and the earth closed over them, and they perished from the midst of the assembly. And all of Israel who were around them fled at the outcry. For they said, The earth may swallow us up. Fire also came forth from the Lord and consumed 250 men who were offering the incense. Now, go with me for just a moment as we begin to close this. Moses just told Korah and in Abiram and in Dotham there, he told him, you're wicked and, and God is in charge and God has given me the authority and that's why we're doing what we're doing. And then these men rose up to wage war against Moses and Abiram and, and, you know, and Dotham. They all came against Moses. Korah, rather. Abiram and Dotham came against Moses. And Moses humbled himself and prayed to God. And then Moses said, if the ground opens up and swallows these men up alive, and then closes back over them, then you'll know that God is with me, and I I do this by God's authority. And I don't know about you, but if I'd seen the ground open up and close them up, that's enough. 
But no, that wasn't enough. Mm-mm. Nope. They became angry at, at Moses and angry at God. God said fire. Killed another 250 men. So at this point, you should step back and say, all right, we know now that Moses is from God and this is what God expects of us. And so we're going to listen to God, right? Not the arrogant, not Rome, not Babylon, not the kings of the earth, not the prideful, not some members of the church. Doesn't matter what God does, still not going to listen. So then God sends his wrath. Now God becomes... What more could God do? Well, some folks just refuse to change. So this just happened. Imagine now, today's Sunday. So this is just yesterday. And we came into the building and we began to talk about it and said, do you remember yesterday what happened when the, the ground opened up? And we, we remember it vividly, like the big earthquake not long ago. We still talk about it. But these folks have hardened hearts. And I want you to listen to verse 41. But on the next day, all the congregation of the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron, saying, You are the ones who have caused the death of the Lord's people. It came about, however... When the congregation had assembled against Moses and Aaron, that they turned toward the tent of meeting, and behold, the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord appeared. Then Moses and Aaron came to the front of the tent of meeting, and the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Get away from among this congregation, that I may consume them instantly. Then they fell on their faces, and Moses said to Aaron, Take your censer and put it in fire. From the altar and lay incense on it and bring it quickly to the congregation and make atonement for them. For the wrath has gone forth from the Lord. The plague has begun. Then Aaron took it and Moses had spoken as Moses had spoken and he ran into the midst of the assembly. But behold, the plague had begun among the people. So he put on the incense and made atonement. For the people. And he took his stand between the dead and the living so that the plague was checked. But those who died by the plague were 14,700 besides those who died on account of Korah. Then Aaron returned to Moses at the doorway of the tent of meeting for the plague had been checked. In other words, we're going back to Revelation chapter 15. In other words, there was still mercy. God was wrathful. God was angry. But there was still mercy. The plague was checked. Here's what God wants us to understand. There is no more mercy. This plague, this death, this destruction will not and cannot be checked. Verse 8. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from His power. And no one was able to enter the temple until the seven 
plagues of the seven angels were finished. There is no more opportunity to repent. The rest of the account is going to tell us all about this. Church, there is a point where God will say, enough is enough. There's a point where God is going to say, there is and will be no more mercy. No more opportunity. No more chances. And you know, today just might be that day. And I wonder, if all those who are listening, uh, via online, you can click the next one. I think Tracy and end it. All those who are listening online, all of you who who are here today, is your life right with God today? Today could be the very last. The Bible says there'll be no sign. Everything will be just as it always was. What if today were the last day? Are you ready? We encourage you to come by faith. Surrendering to God in the waters of baptism. If you have not come to the Lord and surrendered to Him in the waters of baptism, we invite you, having heard His word and believed it, being willing to repent of godly sorrow, Turn your life around. Confess his name before men. Be baptized, immersed in water for the remission of your sins. We invite you today. If you like prayers made in your behalf or you have repentance that's necessary in your heart, if there's anything we can do, please make it known while together we're standing and we'll sing our song of invitation.